Now, the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. Good morning and welcome to the Aloha Friday edition of the program. I'm Bobby Curran along with Tanner Hayworth. And between us, we'll try and bring you the complete world of sports. Pros, colleges, high schools, other sporting events uh, taking place here with guests and giveaways and your phone calls. Got a lot of things going on today uh, and tomorrow, actually, because you're starting a three-game series in baseball. You're approaching... You know, you, next week you're going to have the spring game, which is cool, and uh, which I think will be really fun. And and then you're going to get to uh, uh, basketball, men's and women's, volleyball. They're taking on a first-year program. Charlie Wade has had a, a habit of saying, you know, he basically, and I think he believes this in his heart, that he wants to... He wants to grow the game, and the way you grow the game is to include the people who are aspiring to be good teams, and generally speaking, that's what happens. And so they're not going to give be terribly competitive with Hawaii right yet, but give it two or three years and see what happens because a lot of times some of the smaller schools that we, as I say, smaller schools, they, they can't afford to put on a lot of Division One sports, but they can afford to put on one. Volleyball is a relatively inexpensive sport. So you can build up a, a good team in a hurry, which I think is I think it's very generous of spirit of Charlie Wade to do that. Some people just want to pile up wins. They don't care. Um, you know, they're not. They're not concerned about building the sport, but he is, and he does a beautiful job of it. And I have to think some of those coaches are really appreciative of the opportunity because it gets it lets their program know where it's at. What does it take? What's it going to be? And I think this gives you a pretty good idea of it. So I'm all about it. I think it's good. It's really good. Uh, they get sweeps t- typically when they do this, and uh, that's what's that's what's going to happen. I think it's uh, I think that's a very cool thing. Uh, they uh, this is a Missouri S and T, which I'm told is science and technology. I have to admit that's a school I had never heard of prior to this, but that's good. I mean, that's, we want to we want to expand our horizons a little bit. Let's let's talk about a couple of things that are in the news. Uh, this is this is a long time out now, but Mike Greenberg and his crew are talking about the unhappiness. It's it's prompted by this tour that's being put on by Horace Grant, Luke Longley. Who's the other guy? I'm trying to remember. Oh, yeah, Scotty Pippen. And that these are the guys who are bitterly unhappy about the last dance. They felt that it was all about Michael Jordan, not enough about them. And they're, they're in Australia now, which is Longley's hometown. I called uh, his college games at New Mexico. And uh, interestingly, they talk about aging you. He's long retired now. But in any case, uh, that, you know, he, 
he didn't seem to have a particular bone to pick, but Horace Grant does, and especially Scottie Pippen, so, which is interesting. I mean, you can't keep everybody happy all the time. But I remember a particular incident when Scottie Pippen was quoted because Michael Jordan was making $36 million a year. And Scottie Pippen was making $3 million a year. And he just kept saying he couldn't wait for the day when he made real money and blah, blah. Now, for most of us, $3 million a year would be riches beyond compare. But obviously, it didn't compare well with Michael Jordan. But let's face it, Scottie Pippen wasn't Michael Jordan. I just think you've got to be real about this. It's hard to be real about yourself. I'm not sure, though, that Horace Grant's right. Horace Grant actually thinks he was better than Dennis Rodman. I, I don't know if that was the case. Dennis Rodman was such a sensational rebounder that he was almost a one-trick pony in terms of what he could do and what he could accomplish. So, I mean, I don't think many people are that realistic about their abilities. I, I would say a couple of people who are realistic about their abilities. This is my mind. I'll give you a couple of people I think are realistic about their abilities. LeBron James, Steph Curry, Dame Lillard. I, I, I'm, I don't, my list doesn't go a whole lot longer than that. I think those guys are, because other guys who are really good, I'll give you a couple on the Celtics. You know, Tatum, uh, the, the other guy that played for Cal, uh, whom I, I'm stumbling over the last name. Jalen, just Jalen Brown. I mean, you know, those guys are really good players. No question. But are they all timers? I don't know. I would say maybe, not, certainly not yet. I would say that. Um, but the other guys, yeah, I would put them in that top tier. So, and they don't have any, here's the thing about guys like that. There's no self-doubt with Steph Curry or LeBron James. They don't, they have no doubt. They know that they are among the best that exist. That's their thing. So I, I'm, I'm all about that. I, I, I agree with them. I don't think, I didn't even know about some of the intrigue on, that, on those Bulls teams. Apparently, I, now I don't even, I don't want to, I might not even have gotten this right when Mike Greenberg said it, but this is apparently well known, that one of the, uh, I think it was it's Pippen's ex-wife, that was dating Jordan's son, or there was some intrigue there. There was intermingling with the wives. And apparently that didn't go over very well either, as you can imagine. So I, that was a complicated group. Michael Jordan didn't even stay with the team when it got crazy. He would stay in a separate hotel because he, he just didn't want to... He claimed he didn't want them to be distracted. His distraction was inevitable, apparently. But he uh, he wanted to protect his teammates from it. They didn't seem to think of it that way. I remember another superstar who wasn't questioned on that. Cal Ripken Jr., when he approached the record. Uh, you know, it seemed like he was staying on his own, too, but he was it was accepted in his part because he didn't have that, you know, this is me attitude. Michael Jordan didn't have any doubts about how good he was. Uh, you know, this, Cal Ripken Jr. acted like it was just, he was just fortunate to be in this position. And, you know, it was one of those. It was like the Lou Gehrig thing come back to life. And, 
and, and his teammates appreciated him. But I, it's very obvious from Last Dance that not all of Michael Jordan's teammates appreciated him. It's just the way it went. Uh, I think that's what happens sometimes. I, very few people, in my mind, have been as good as they thought they were. That's just how it works. I could give you another guy. He may, some people are just better at hiding how they feel. I'll give you an example. And I'm not sure he's hiding or he actually is humble. But Jalen Brunson on the Knicks just seems to be, he seems to have confidence, but it doesn't seem to be out of line with reality. Should be my take. Let's do this. Let's take a quick time out. When we come back, we're going to talk with uh, my friend Artie Wilson, and it's not going to be about a topic you expect. Whenever Major League Baseball rolls around and is about to begin, and we're getting into the exhibition games and college baseball is taking place, I always think of him. I had the pleasure to meet Artie's dad, and who was a fabulous baseball player. I'm, I'm thinking it's probably on his mind these days quite a bit. We'll be back with Artie Wilson right after this on ESPN Honolulu. ones that I ever can remember. And I think that's a, it's a fabulous opportunity. Oops. It's a fabulous opportunity for people to come out and, and see this new look Rainbow Warrior team. There's old faces combined with some new ones. I think it's going to be a fabulous opportunity. And I, I suspect, I mean, I've only been over to one practice and it did seem that there was a lot of enthusiasm over there. And that would I would expect that because you got some people who I think are very enthusiastic. I think Dennis Thurman is one of those guys, and I think uh, Jeff Reinbold is definitely one of those guys, and Dan Morrison, in his own uh, chill way, is very much that way. He's very positive. He's not a screamer and a yeller. I think he'll be a perfect addition to the staff. I think it's going to be really fun. Uh, I do think Braden Shager is going to have an advantage with, uh, with the experience. And also, uh, it's going to be an adjustment a little bit uh, for Micah Alejado, I think, uh, to come into this program and try to compete with those veteran guys. I Not to say he won't, and I think they'll give him a look. But it's going to be, I think, a tough challenge. Everybody who watches him says if, he's, if he was 6'2", the pros would be looking at him already. He's so accurate. He's got a very strong arm. He's chill. It doesn't make a lot of mistakes. You don't see interception. I don't think he's threw an interception his senior year. Isn't that right? I, somebody told me that. I didn't check it. But uh, obviously, if you're his size, because he's diminutive, no question. If he's diminutive and he did that, that's, uh, that's pretty amazing. I do think that's going to be an interesting quarterback room, though. And if you have something you want to talk about today, 
Go ahead, 808 uh, seven. What is it now? Let me give me again. Two nine, two nine, two nine six fourteen twenty. And uh, it's funny I gone blank on that. I had, I had to give my phone number through various doctor visits yesterday. I had to give my own phone number so many times that it's like embedded in there. But yes, two nine six fourteen twenty with an eight oh eight in front, and uh, you can get in and express your thoughts. On whatever you'd like. I, I think this University of Hawaii football team is going to be considerably better than the last edition. I, ju- I just think it makes sense. You've got more guys. You've got a lot of guys back who I think are going to be very useful. Uh, and then you have some newcomers coming in who I think will be helpful. And then you got new coaches that ought to be able to contribute tremendously. So I'm, I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be a, a very good team. If you have something you want to chat about right now, go ahead. Uh, 808-296-1420 is the number. And uh, I do remember, I can't remember where we were at, though. I want to say it was Fresno. But perhaps, this is a number of years ago when Jeff Reinbold was here, and he's walking around this Fresno State Hotel in a lava lava. I was thinking, nobody has to convince me of this guy's uh, uh, Hawaii bona fides. He loves the place. And I, th- I don't think that's any different now than it was then. So it's uh, this is going to be a very entertaining year. So that, that'll be next weekend. And then here you have some, some other stuff going on. I mean, the baseball series with no NC State. They're better than Ole Miss, apparently, uh, by all reports. And I don't think this Hawaii team feels a lot of fear. They've got some really good freshmen that are supremely confident. That should be good. That should be a helpful deal, I would think. And and then, uh, but this is going to be, according to Rich Hill, the sternest test they'll have all year, as relayed by Stephen Tsai. This is going to be a difficult, difficult task. And uh, good, right? That's what you want. If you're going to get to the point, and I know Rich Hill has a desire to get to regionals and to win a regional and get to the College World Series. If those are your goals, it doesn't make much sense to be shying away from competition. I think you got to play it. And if you play it, you got to start to win it. And I think they will. I thought going 2-2 two and two and outscoring Ole Miss completely last weekend was a really good sign. And I anticipate that there'll be some more of those coming. Anyway, I was reading... You know, it's funny. You would think this wouldn't happen in college sports, but I was reading about a couple of fights, even at lower levels, that seem to break out in college basketball. Have you been following any of that, Tanner? It's really pretty amazing. Uh, They're getting fights all over the place. And I got to think the NCAA is interested in curtailing that. That's not good. It's not a good look. It filters down into the high schools and the youth leagues. You You really don't want that. And I, I do think they'll do everything they can in the NCAA to eliminate it. If you, uh, if you have something right now that you want to chat about, come on and bring it. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about football, basketball, baseball, volleyball. Uh, there's so many good things going on. I, I am uh, really looking forward to the basketball game tomorrow night because I'm hopeful that Hawaii will put on a good show. Uh, will they win? I don't know. I think they could win. I think they can win. So we'll see. But that they got a couple of really good players on that team. So we'll see. And, you know, Long Beach State has always been in the mix 
with Hawaii, it seems like. But that is not new, is how I look at it. Go ahead. 808-296-1420 is the number. We've got a few things to talk about as we move on into the program. You know, I, I sometimes see a score, a college basketball score, and you don't see it as often. I, I think there's more upsets and fewer blowouts. I'm talking about the 50-point variety. You just don't see as many because I think the level of talent is rising constantly, and that's which is a great thing for competitiveness, uh, for the number of opportunities that reign for college basketball players. There's... There's a lot of them out there. And, and I love it when you see an upset. That's, I know I remember Colin Cowherd used to say, it's always better when the traditional powers win. He wants Kentucky and Kansas and Duke. You know, he wants all of those teams to win all the time. I am almost the opposite. I like the underdogs winning, and I like it when they win big. Why not? I mean, it's it's good for the, it's a good sign for the future of the game. If they can get the more players they can get that can really go and really play and are capable of pulling off an upset, the better off we all are. It's what I like to see. It's it's really fun to watch, and where it really comes home to roost is in the NCAA tournament, which we're not far from, because you'll get those last second. Uh, shots and upsets and near near misses. I, I think that's the first two days. Uh, I don't even count the play-in games. The first Thursday and Friday are, I mean, they're, they're important if you're one of the playoff teams or play-in teams. But, I mean, that Thursday and Friday are just chock full of upsets. It is so fun. And I can't wait till we get to that point. And I'm always hopeful that, you know, Hawaii will get on a run because this is what I actually think. I don't, Irvine, I think, is the biggest problem. I think Hawaii can beat everybody else in the conference. And you might even get to avoid Irvine, uh, depending on how it falls. They will have a double buy. I sometimes think double buys don't help much because people say, oh, yeah, they'll be so rested. They'll be rusty, too. They'll be sitting around in a hotel room. They'll get a certain limited t time practice time, and then that's it. I, I think there's an ample chance to get a little rusty in that time. I think a single buy is ideal. we got John on the line. Hey, John, what's up? Hey, Bobby, I'm calling about your comment uh, where you like the uh, upsets in college basketball. I uh, totally agree with you. And I heard uh, Colin Cowherd saying that stuff where uh, – he only wants to see the blue chip uh, guys, yeah. and it's like, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to, you know, I'm kind of like, if it was up to him, like, Hawaii would never get to be in the NCAA tournament. I mean, you know, teams, stuff like that, and it's like, uh, you know, I think about four years ago, or a long time before, about 2015, he said, I don't know why people uh, root for the Cubs anymore. Those guys never win anything, uh, you know, and they're like, you know, you're stupid if you root for them, and I'm kind of... My thing is, is I watched them when I was five years old when I, with my dad. Yeah. But the point is, is then they, like two years later, they won the World Series. So uh, I, I kind of watch that show, but once in a while he comes out with some stuff that's like really stupid. I agree. I remember yeah. he used to do these things on women are like this and men are like this, as if, as if there's a mold that we all fit into. I, I just think that's silliness. 
So, yeah. I mean, you know, he's, he's got, listen, he's obviously got an audience. He's making millions of dollars a year. Good for him. Yeah. But it's not, yeah, he's, but he's not my personal taste. I, I, well, pre I prefer, as a rule, just to give you an idea of what I prefer when I'm listening, I prefer Mike Greenberg. He's more, right. he's more my speed than Colin Cowherd. But you know yeah. what? This is, it takes, it takes all kinds to make a horse race. I kind of like Stephen A. Smith, too, but uh, anyway. Uh, um, but you know what? To me, when Hawaii makes the NCAA tournament, that makes, like, my whole year. And it's like uh, if it was up to him, like, uh, teams like Hawaii would never be able to get in. Yeah, that's probably, that's probably true. I, I remember yeah. people railing about when an upset from the smaller conference gets in, like when a seven seed or an eight seed or something has a couple of good games and wins and gets in the tournament. And then people like to go berserk if they don't perform well in, in the game when they're playing like a two seed or a one seed. I mean, come on. What, what do you, how often yeah. do you think those upsets are going to happen? It's not going right. to be all that often. Yeah, anyway. the Cinderella stuff is what makes the uh, NCAA tournament uh, real attractive. Yeah, you're right. We're gonna we got to take a timeout. We're gonna have Artie Wilson. We're gonna talk. I don't know if people know this. His father was a Negro League star in in baseball, and I want to talk to him about that because this time of year it comes up. I had the pleasure of meeting the man, and uh, he was kind of legendary in his time. We're going to uh, have Artie on about talking about. Major League Baseball, the Negro League, stay with us. It'll be fun. We'll be right back after this. Back to the Aloha Friday edition of the program. I'm Bobby Kern along with Tanner Hayworth. Our guest this morning, and so probably surprise people with the topic, but I wanted to talk with Artie Wilson about his dad's baseball career because a lot of people may not know this, some do, but his dad was a tremendous minor league, Negro Leagues player. And uh, you know, I, I often wonder, and I'm sure he does too, if there had been an integration of the leagues prior to when it happened, would his dad been one of the players with a chance? Because his statistics were crazy. Artie, how are you? I'm doing good, Bobby. How are you doing? I I'm guessing this time of year brings that thought to mind frequently for you. Well, uh, my dad had a had a like you said a tremendous baseball career. He uh, He's right now credited because they're allowing the records from the Negro Leagues to be uh, considered when when you talk about the all-time records for baseball. Uh, once they made that determination a couple years ago, my dad is, is credited in the last 400 hitter in organized baseball. He batted 408 in 1948 after Ted Williams did it in 41. So he is, he is officially the last 400 hitters in baseball. That's crazy. I mean, that no, is amazing. Yeah, I don't know if people realize my, how, for, well, how tough it is to hit 400. Yeah. You can't yeah, have, you well, can't have a bad day. 
No, my dad had a lifetime average of, I, I want to say, 340-something or something. My dad was an incredible uh, uh, batter. I mean, he didn't hit home runs, hit line drives, uh, dinked and dunked the ball around, but he was a magician with the bat. And I remember meeting Tommy Lasorda, and he said to me, your dad was the greatest baseball player nobody ever heard of. That's he funny. Said, your dad could hit the ball. He said, your dad could hit the ball anywhere at any time. I just got, it's really a good story. I just got a, a text from Gary Sprinkle. And uh, he said, Artie, my son gave me uh, a book on Willie Mays, 24. He goes, your dad is in the whole, the first part of that book prominently talked about. Because my dad is really the person who helped Willie get his start playing baseball. That, that's another amazing feature. You know, it kind of makes me think, um, the way you describe your dad's game sort of sounds like a, you know, uh, like an old-timer uh, Tony Gwynn. That's right, old-time Tony Gwynn and Ichiro. Those two, those two were the, the, the two that people constantly tell me my dad hit the ball like. Yeah. My dad could, my dad could, uh, Bobby, my dad could go up to the plate, uh, and if he want, needed to wear the pitcher out, he could foul off 15, 18 balls. It doesn't matter where the pitcher threw it. He could just foul it off, wear the pitcher out, and then slap a single to left <laughs> and go to first base and just smile. What, what an amazing talent that is. Let, let me oh, ask yeah, you about this. Did, was he still playing ball of any kind? When you were old enough to real to be able to understand it, yeah, I went down. I mean, he, he it was at the end of his career, but I was able to go down to the to the ballpark, and that's how I learned how to play baseball and love the game. I was taking, I was going out in the outfield during batting practice, shagging balls. I was going into the clubhouse down at Portland when he was playing with the Beavers. Um, I went to uh, Candlestick Park when he, when Willie was playing with my dad, and and uh, it was it was pretty special time. But I was I was young. I was really young at that time. I've I've learned more about my dad in the last fifteen to twenty years than ever, and I didn't realize how incredible he was as a baseball player because he never talked about himself. Uh, that's uh, that's equally rare, I think. Most people want to yeah. you know pound the drum on their own abilities. He seems uh, very comfortable in his own skin. That he was uh, he had a great career and he knew it. Oh, my dad had had quiet confidence and understood what he what he was able to do. Even now, when I watch baseball, uh, especially when it comes close to playoff times. I sit there and I can sit, remember sitting in the living room and he's watching baseball and I go, you think you can hit that guy? He goes, eh, I'd probably go two for four against him. <laughs> and, <laughs> That's great. And, and he would, he would say it, he would say it not boastful, but very confident. I mean, he would be like, yeah, I could go two for four. <laughs> That's great. You got to love that. And, you know, it's, uh, it is a shame, I think, that so many great players, because of the racial restrictions, never got a chance. I mean, we've seen yeah. how many great black ball players there have been. And you can, only, you can only imagine that had they opened the floodgates earlier, it would have been the same way. Well, absolutely, Bobby. If you saw the movie 42 
and you saw Branch Rickey during that one scene where he's sitting at his desk and he's talking to a, I don't remember who, but he's looking at players and he's throwing their 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 resumes on his desk. My dad was one of those four or five that he looked at, but he chose Jackie Robinson because Jackie had number one gone to college, number two had served the country in the in the military, and he would be deemed. Uh, more acceptable yeah. than my dad, who who barely got out of high school and and had never served the country, and and for three or four years prior to Jackie coming into the the Negro leagues, my dad was the all star shortstop. I mean, Jackie wasn't wasn't the first. Jackie wasn't the first. I have a I have a magazine, and I still have it called Sport Magazine, where it, it says the 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 nine the 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 all-star team that couldn't happen and it put my dad at shortstop and it moved Jackie to second base. Wow. That's yeah, incredible yeah. when you think of it. No, that's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. Uh, actually, in June this year, um, I'm going down to Birmingham, Alabama. They have, uh, they're having a Major League Baseball game at the old Rickwood Field, which is deemed the oldest baseball field in America. Uh, two major league teams are going to play on the old field and they're having a special event where they're honoring a number of the Negro league baseball players. My dad is one of them being honored. They put together bobblehead dolls and everything. So I'm going down to represent the family and my dad in June to, to that event. Wow. What a cool treat. Yeah. That, that'll be special, amazing. Special. Yeah, that'll be really amazing stuff. All right, now, do you you played baseball at UH even, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I, I actually had more baseball scholarships than basketball scholarships, Bobby. Baseball was a, a sport that I loved, and I played it from the time I was able to walk, pretty much. Did you play infield? Uh, and I did play. Yeah, I played I played infield, although Les Murakami wouldn't let me play uh, shortstop. He he had Joy Estrella at short, so I played third base in, at, at UH. Wow. For the most part. You had played with Joey Estrella. Yeah. How many years? Yep. Uh, three. Yeah, that's amazing. It's really cool. Yeah. The, uh, I and, don't know, are that, you as that, much of a baseball fan now as you used to be? I mean, do you still, will you still turn it on? Do you go to some UH games? Cause I think Rich Hill's got it going on with these guys. Just, yeah, Rich Hill uh, does have it going on. I love watching baseball. Baseball is still one of my favorite sports. It, it's, some, it's funny, since my dad passed away, I don't get the joy out of it. Maybe it's because I don't get to talk to him about it. Cause that's one of the things that we could sit down and I could go to Portland and get up in the morning and my dad be watching the baseball game. I could run down to the shopping mall or go somewhere and come back. He'd still be sitting there watching baseball yeah. and, and in between, in between runs to see friends and, and, and do things. I could have a half hour, 40 minutes with my dad talking baseball because he would always be in his big chair watching baseball. That's that's great. Yeah. He never lost his love yeah. for it. That's for sure, huh? Hey, my played. You, you got to realize, my dad played until he couldn't play, uh, and he was in his seventies before he stopped playing. He, he played old timer games all the time. Uh, I I can tell you a great story. My dad was playing in an old timers game in Portland. He was seventy years old. And a pitcher that was in the Philadelphia Phillies organization for three or four years was on the mound playing against my dad. And when he got up, he threw a ball, and he threw it behind my dad. And the catcher called timeout and ran out to the mound and said, 
what are you doing? This is an old man. And the pitcher goes, no, that's Artie Wilson. And, and the catcher goes, he's, he, that's a man, he's 30. I mean, come on, he's 70 years old. So he goes, he goes back to the, to the, the plate and the, you know, he gives the pitcher the signal and the pitcher throws another one up and into my dad. And my dad just smiled at him. And the third pitch he threw, my dad, he lashes it straight up the middle, almost undressed the pitcher into the first base. After the pitcher got up off the ground, he went, walks over to the first base and he shakes my dad's hand, takes his hat off and shakes my dad's hand. My dad just smiles at him at first base. That's great. You got to love it. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. The, uh, well, I just figured this time of year is always one that you're going to be kind of reflecting on baseball. Yeah. Love so, the game. Love the game. Willie, Willie Mays was always my favorite player. I still think he was the greatest to ever play the game. Um, I, I'm a huge Willie fan. I think he was just incredible what he could do. If he didn't play in San Francisco with that crazy win, he would have hit 800 home runs. My, he's my father's favorite. He was my father's favorite player also. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. He, he, uh, my father almost didn't like to see him come to New York because – it was late then in his career, and he wasn't the same, you know. And it was oh yeah, you no. couldn't help but think back to what he was. And, yeah, and yeah. I think no, that happened back, for a lot of people of his generation. The um, let Absolutely. me ask you about: Do you get to UH games occasionally? I have gone only to a couple. I don't go that. I don't go in person. I watch it on TV often. Uh, this year, I'm probably going to go. My wife's a baseball fan as well, so oh, good. I'll probably go because she enjoys. Uh, she enjoys baseball. Actually, she's played softball in her day and uh, thinks that she can really play the game. Right. Well, that's good. Yeah. I mean, that's what you need. you gotta, yeah. you got to believe you can do it before you can do it. So that's yeah, I think that's a part of it, no doubt. Well, Artie, I, I appreciate you coming on today. I, uh, I'll, I'll think of your dad every time I put a UH game on. It's, uh, I would have loved to have seen him myself because everything well, you read – Everything you read, yeah, it all says the same stuff. This was a great, great ball player. Yeah, he was. And, you know, it's funny. I'll tell you last quickly. Uh, we used to have the Columbian All-Stars here. It, the softball team where, you know, Leahy and myself and Gary Sprinkle and a bunch of guys used to play in this Columbian All-Star game. And we, we were playing against uh, Magnum P.I., cast of Magnum P.I. with Selick and Roger Mosley and all those guys at, at the Rainbow Stadium. And my dad was in town, and, and uh, we, we were able to have my dad come and play. And one of the joys of my life is we, 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 we uh, completed a double play. I played short. My dad played second. He turned the double play in softball. Wow. You don't see that very often. No, you don't. And that was unbelievable. It was from Wilson to Wilson to first base to turn the double play. How old was your dad yeah. then? Oh, my dad then was probably 65 to 68. Wow, that is amazing. He really did play as long as he could. No, oh, no my doubt dad, about my dad, that. My dad, my dad, my dad, he was five pounds. His, his weight at death was five pounds different than the time he played. That, that's unusual now. Yeah, we, we'd no, see a lot of the people who are, lived, not, lived, are trying to stay within to 50 90. of that. Yeah. No, he lived to 90. Unbelievable. All righty. We'll see you at the yeah. arena, man. Thanks for coming on. Okay.
Artie Wilson, who will be talking basketball later this morning. It's 44 minutes past 6 o'clock. We're going to take a quick timeout. We'll be right back on ESPN Honolulu. Welcome back to this Aloha Friday edition of the program. I actually got in the mood just now talk about baseball because talking to Artie about his dad's baseball career, which was absolutely phenomenal. He hit 4.08. He was the last man to hit 4.08 in professional baseball. That is that's a, the last man to hit 400. It's amazing. I uh, did want to get to this because people are talking about the explosion right now of women's basketball in particular, women's sports in general, women's basketball in particular. Get this one. I love this. The uh, people are saying Sabrina Ionescu came so close to, to beating Steph Curry, and she's a great shooter. There's no question. She could have easily beaten Steph Curry. I mean, that's. I think that's going to be increasingly, because there's one area that women can compete evenly with men. I mean, there's no... I don't think there's any question about it. The ones who are willing, women who are willing to really work at it, there's no limitations. They can do anything the men can do. You know, they, the men might have more range, I would say generally, but it's not useful range, the men's advantage, because you know, how many times are you going to shoot from 40 feet? Because if you get anywhere at the three-point range, women can make that fine. How about this, though? This is what I want to get to. Here's my contention. I think Caitlin Clark, the Iowa phenom, All-American, can shoot as well as Sabrina Ionescu, and which by de facto means as well as Steph Curry. I think she's a tremendous shooter. I was watching when she made that, uh, that first shot when she needed eight points, I think it was the, maybe it was the one she needed the eight because it was a highlight, actually, and um, it's to, against Michigan. And she took that shot from 35 feet easy. It was crazy. I, I'm of the opinion that she may be as good as any shooter right now. In the WNBA on average. I don't know if there's anyone you could say is definitively better. What's your thought on that? Well, in terms of looking at Caitlin Clark compared to the WNBA, I mean, what's nice is you can do a pretty direct comparison. Thanks for all the stats everywhere. So this year, Caitlin Clark is shooting only 39% from the three-point land. Is that all? And that would actually only land at about, that would land right tied at 10th. In the WNBA currently with uh, Marina Mabry of the Chicago Sky, I think the one issue I think that a lot of people might have with Caitlin Clark's game is that she is kind of a volume shooter on a team where she's kind of the biggest threat. This year she's taken, on average per game, 13 three-pointers a game, 13.6. And so that would be about five to six more uh, three-pointers a game than anybody else in the WNBA. And I think if you're talking about, you know, percentages, yeah, 39% is fine. 
But if you're taking 14 three-pointers a game, obviously college versus WNBA, it's going to be a little bit different. So you probably take down the amount of shots. That probably brings down the percentage too. She takes a lot of those really great shots, like from half court, from long distance, sure. But at the same time, though, I think that is more akin to if Sabrina is a lot like Steph with the shot, then I would say Caitlin Clark might be more like a Damian Lillard with the shot, where not necessarily he may be the most accurate three-point shooter, but Damian Lillard in the NBA is that guy you can trust from pretty much anywhere that you want him from. Yeah, he's got unbelievable range. But, I mean, Steph, don't get it wrong. Steph and Sabrina both have excellent range. It's just that those other two are maybe more fearless when you get to past 35 feet. I would say that. The, um, I, but I think, I think Caitlin Clark's going to be a great pro. I think, she's a, I think she's just a great basketball player. And it's, she's, she's happy to deliver a great pass. She can drive it. She's really an all-around player. She's not just a great shooter. But when people used to say to me, is Patrick Ewing a great ball player? I said, well, it starts with the fact that he's a great shooter. Patrick Ewing was a fabulous, maybe the best big shooting big man of all time. I mean, it certainly at the time he was playing, he was that. So, I mean, I, I kind of have to really check it to see how many people, if anybody, went past that. But Patrick Ewing was a great shooter. And I think that's, that's where the greatness began. Because when you're that great, you can't come up on a guy without him going, blasting right by you. And Ewing could do that. So I think that Caitlin Clark will end up being a very maybe because of the women that went before her, she'll become a great all-around player too. I, the one thing I don't think she she will do, I've just watched her jumping. I don't think she'll dunk. I some people would say that doesn't matter. It really doesn't. Yeah, but no one in the NBA is going to dunk. Like there's like three people that can. In the WNBA? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I accept that. I mean, I, I know that. But this, who are the couple? Uh, Lisa Leslie was one who could dunk. Uh, Elena Deladon um, is another one. I don't know. Uh, uh, Brittany Griner. There's a handful. There's not. You're right. There's, you're right. There's not a lot of them, but um, there are some. And I think as time goes on, there will be more. I don't. I don't ever think it'll ever get to be where two thirds of the people or three quarters of the people in the league will be able to dunk. But I do think it's not going to be as infrequent as it had been. I think there will be more and more women who can dunk. Uh, you don't see it very often in the college game, though, that's for sure. It tends to develop with some age and some experience and, and professional training. And that's when you'll see it. Anyway, it's, uh, we are just about out of time. Chris and Gary will be with you on the... Uh, I'm sure they get revved up a little bit by the baseball talk, too. Then, uh, and there's so much going on athletically at the University of Hawaii this weekend. Should be all good fun. Uh, thanks to Tanner Hayworth for his good efforts today. And Chris and Gary will be up next. So stay tuned for that. And we'll, uh, we'll wish you a happy weekend. From all of us at ESPN Honolulu, I'm Bobby Curran. Aloha.